0: You're listening to, listen to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Good morning, everybody. My voice is extra deep today. Just consider it purposeful. Okay. Oh, it's been quite a journey going through Genesis. Uh, Through Genesis 17, we saw the promise of Isaac being born. This is the promised son that's going to be the one that gives birth to the many nations, that all the blessings of the earth are going to come through, and the eventuality will be Jesus on this earth through that lineage. It's a really, really big promise that God is giving to Abraham and to, um, to his wife Sarah. And we see in chapter 18 how... This idea of hospitality, how people are meant to interact with one another, treat one another, particularly when they don't know one another. How we're supposed to treat that person when you come across them and you think, well, I'll, I'll never see them again. Well, then perhaps treat them better than you might think you need to is it the, the overarching emphasis there. And then at the end of that chapter, we had God revealing that he was going to destroy Sodom to Abraham and Ab- the very famous line, "Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just?" And it's a big question. It's a question that um, I actually get from a lot of young people. Um, when they come and ask questions, it's usually that one: "Why has God allowed this to happen? Why has God allowed this to happen? Why has he done it this way? Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just?" It's a very important question to get answered. And so then following in after that, we went into chapter 19 last week, um, talking about God's grace for the righteous and his complete destruction for the wicked. The fiery destruction that awaits everyone that does not turn their life over to Christ. And it's a very sobering thing. It's not something we can just ignore because it's terrifying and feels awful. And it's just, it's not something we want to look at, but it's there. Anyone that doesn't, put their faith in Jesus, that's what awaits them. We can't let a moment go by that we don't hold that realization intention in our lives, that that's what awaits them. Now that I've done that, (laughs) um, it brought an interesting turn to this week um, as we looked at this chapter 20 and considering that these consequences we face in life these things we choose to do and i really the only thing i could title this chapter was all of our ways all the things we do during the good times during the bad times how we choose to interact with the world around us those of us that know god because the emphasis of this chapter isn't on the unrighteous non the person who's not following after the lord it's actually on the person who is and the folly they make all of our ways When we look at the word of the Lord, it lays us bare. The entirety of scripture has something to say on everything of importance in this life. It doesn't say everything about life, but everything of importance in this life. You can go to the scriptures and it will have something for you. Out of Hebrews 4 and verse 12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Scripture will lay us bare. The things we don't think matter, it will be presented before us, and that we have to do a heart check. And that's what we're going to see here. That's what we're going to see today. And in order to be able to have these moments of the Lord, we need to understand what the Lord is saying to us. We need to have a familiarity with Scripture. We need to ponder Scripture. We need to spend more than just a cursory glance at it. The hard part is not a lot of us have a lot of time. We maybe have a little bit of chunk of time each day to read through it and mull on it, but in order to uh, plumb the depths of it, who has the time? And that's why we take the time here to do that, to present it to you so that you can ponder and chew on the depths that we're going through each and every week. We do this because of Prover- what Proverbs 1, or not 1, 1, 1, 1.5 says to us, let the wise hear and increase in their learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Much of scripture is just that, it's a riddle. Another translation of that phrase is, and their dark sayings. These sayings that aren't just clear, up front, in your face. That's how we like to learn. Just tell me what it is. (laughs) That is not what scripture does. Scripture has to be pondered. It has to be chewed on. It has to be mulled over. That's why it's told to us, write it on your heart, write it on your doorpost. Talk about it as you come. Talk about it as you go. Talk about it as you sit and talk about it as you stand. You need to be accessing this all the time in order to really grasp the richness of everything God has for you, so that he may guide you through this life, so that we don't stumble, so our faith is made strong, so that we can endure when difficulties come. God's word is right there at the forefront of our mind, and we are kept focused on what is most important. So how do we behave? How do we behave when the difficult times come? We're gonna see how Abraham behaves here. That we're most often motivated by two key emotions. Fear and desire. And there's a really good aspect to both of those. They're emotions you have, so that means there must be something good for them. And there's a bad aspect to both of those. Fear, well fear of man is bad. Fear of man will make you do things you should never do. It'll motivate you in ways you should never go. But we are called to fear God. He says, don't fear man. All man can do is kill you. (laughs) Fear God, the one who can cast you into the lake of fire. Fear God, the one that can give you a life of purpose, a life of hope, the one that can bring you eternity, the one that can bring you goodness, the one that can bring you a life worth living. That's something I've often presented to people when they ask, how can you believe? You can't fully ever prove it. And I say, no, but if look at our lives. If at the end of my life, you were right and I become nothing, I led a good life. I led a life that mattered full of people that loved me, that we loved and cared for one another. That's what God gives us, a life that matters, a life of purpose, a life of hope. But then there's desire. Desire that most often gets in our way is a desire of personal fulfillment. And it can be any myriad of things, but I want it. And it can take you away. You should never go. As opposed to desiring the righteousness of God. I want it, but that's not godly. That is gonna make me do things I should never do, say things I should never say, go places I should never go. I need to walk in God's light. I have to be willing to to give up my desires for the goodness that God provides. All of this intention, let's see what Abraham chooses to do. So I'm gonna begin with the gold standard of. The expectation for all of us comes right out of Proverbs chapter 3. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths be not wise in your own eyes fear the lord and turn away from evil when we don't take that to heart when we do the opposite of any of these things we will find ourselves in a position where either a person or scripture or the spirit himself will say this phrase to us what were you thinking because <laughs> there's so many justifications we give ourselves what were you thinking? We're going to ask Abraham that question today. Genesis 20, 1 through 18. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Najeb and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So, A deceit is given and a wife is taken. This is a very common thematic item within scripture. Something is given, a lie, something we really want to believe because if that's true, it results in me getting a desire of mine. It's a lie of omission in this case. It's not technically untrue that she's his sister, because she really is. But I'm going to admit that she's my wife because I don't want you to kill me, which is such a strange concept now, but apparently it was okay then. (laughs) That if you came across somebody and you wanted their wife, if you were able to kill them, you could have their wife. Yay. (laughs) But it's this whole idea of a lie of omission it results in something good that I want. It should hearken us back to several things we've already heard. Right back to the garden. What did the snake, what did the deceiver, what did the devil do? He gave a live omission. You will not surely die today. But it's going to give you something you want so much. Don't you want to be like God? And think about that for you. There's always going to be that thing, don't you want this so very much? Did God really say? They're telling you something you want to hear. And what is the result? You take something you want and you gain something from it. They did gain knowledge, but there was a consequence to it. There's a casting out the results of it. And there's death that follows it. And it's almost word for word what happened back in Egypt. There's going to be a little bit of a change here, actually. When we saw this happen for the first time, they traveled down to Egypt. They said, say you're my wife, and I'll, or not my wife, say you're my sister, and I'll say I'm your brother, which is technically true. And then they won't kill me. It'll be all good. And they do this, and I think it's great. And he gets all this stuff, and I think, wow, it's not that bad. Uh-huh. And then it's found out. And what's happened? They're banished from Egypt just as the banishment from the garden. You got something you thought you wanted, but now you've completely cut yourself off from an entire nation by doing it, because you walked in fear, fear of man. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, Will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocent of my hands, I have not done this. So we start with that, will you kill an innocent people? It's, it's just a rephrasing of that same thing that Abraham said himself. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? How could you kill the innocent? Because adultery isn't just a niche for Israel. No, it's a capital offense in all the nations of this region. So to do so, off with your head, he's really concerned. Lord, I haven't done this. And the, the thought of Sodom is very fresh in their minds. And he says, in the integrity of my heart, in my heart and the innocence of my hands... And what's interesting is it's actually quite easy to sin and have a clear conscience if you didn't know what you were doing was a sin. Out of Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So there's actually an action that has taken place here. He did not approach Sarah, so he did not commit adultery. But he took her. It doesn't say that he approached them and said, would you be my wife? And given a choice? No, he just said, hey, she's pretty good looking. Is she your sister? (laughs) Yes. Great. She's mine now just took her. And this is wrong, but somehow in his mind, in his life, he was taught that that's okay. Just because you've been taught your whole life something's okay, doesn't make it okay. There's there's parts of the law that Highlight this to us. In Leviticus 4.22, it talks about if a leader sins amongst you, does any of the things that causes someone to sin, and then it's revealed to him, meaning they didn't know about it. That's the heart of the law is that you wouldn't have done it intentionally, because if you did it intentionally, that's a whole nother matter entirely. But when, what do you do when you find out you have sinned? you and all who are yours. And after that passage, I immediately had a question spark. How did God keep him from sinning? Mm -hmm. Because we have free will. So what did God do that kept him from going to her? This obviously incredibly beautiful woman, that's how he wanted her. She's 90 years old. She must be gorgeous. (laughs) What kept them from engaging? (laughs) And the scripture isn't explicit here. I had a very rousing discussion with Matthew on Thursday about this. (laughs) And we determined based on the passage, it was fair enough to say that he was afflicted in some way that probably left him bedridden. Very likely, because at the end of the passage, it's going to say that he was healed of something. There's some way that he has proof. I couldn't have done anything, Lord. I have proof, no touchy. (laughs) Something God did. And additionally, he needs this backing because like I said, Sodom's a fresh memory. Based on the passage, this could only be a very short period of time and you don't soon forget that fire, rain from the sky and destroyed cities. Everyone would have been talking about this a God is on the loose and he is wiping out the wicked. We are innocent, Lord. They're afraid. They're afraid of what's happening here. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you? That you've brought on me and my kingdom of great sin. You have done things to me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this? What were you thinking? What were you thinking? All of chapter 18 is how we're supposed to treat one another. Be good to one another not deceive one another, not take advantage of one another. Abraham knows better. Abraham said, I I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife, because she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. He's motivated by fear, fear of man, not his faith in God, not his faith in what God has told him, shown him, all of these things. He's still scared of dying. I was afraid you were a bad people, an unrighteous people, people who didn't fear God, I had to ask myself, is this a reasonable thought of his? Well, yeah, it actually is a reasonable thought that they were an unrighteous, ungodly people, considering what just happened to Sodom and most of the regions around. He hasn't found a lot of good people in this area. It's a reasonable thought. Does it excuse the lie? No. No. Psalm 37, 1 through 6 says to us, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We must all ask ourselves this question. Because many of us have not actually ever been in a position quite like this, where you genuinely feared for your life. Maybe some of you have. I don't want to diminish anyone's story. But the majority of us have not been in a spot where your life was literally on the line. And you had to make a call of integrity, or not? And we have to ask ourselves this question. Does your faith crumble at the first sign of difficulty? When it's so much more convenient to just tell, and you tell yourself, we have all told ourselves, a little white lie. It's, it's really for the best. It's not that big a deal, is it? It's simply your integrity. It's a measure of your faith. Do we actually believe that Jesus with this gospel is worth dying for? That's the call. That's the example of the disciples to us. That's so much bigger than most of us started chewing on at the beginning of this. Is it worth dying for? Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you, dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence, in the eyes of all who are with you, and before you, before everyone you are vindicated. This was a head scratcher moment for me. On why did Abimelech give Abraham anything except the boots? and I had to ponder, and I had to consider why he's doing this. For one, the one that I feel the strongest about is actually because of Leviticus 6, verses 2 through 5. It says, if anyone sins and commits a breach of faith against the Lord by deceiving his neighbor, which sounds like what Abraham did, but we're not talking about that, in a matter of deposit or security, or through robbery, or, and this is Abimelech's sin, He has oppressed his neighbor or has found something lost and lied about it, swearing falsely. If any of all these things that people do and sin thereby, they came and he took from them what he wanted. He oppressed his neighbor. If he has sinned and has realized his guilt and will restore what he took by robbery, what he got by oppression or the deposit that was committed to him or lost thing that he found, or anything about which he has sworn falsely, he shall restore it in full and shall add a fifth to it and give it to him to whom it belongs on the day he realizes his guilt." So Sarah is the wife of a very prominent man. She has a lot of value intrinsically and a lot of value monetarily tied to their estate that they have, which would seem to be the amount of sheep and oxen, male and female servants, and a thousand pieces of silver seems to be a fifth of that value. But an additionally, I think there's another thing here. I think there's another motivation. Remember Sodom's wiping places out. Not Sodom. God wipes Sodom out. God is on the move. People are afraid. They're terrified. How do you keep safe? Do you keep God's chosen close? Abimelech is thinking, if I can keep Abraham close by, perhaps I'll get some of that blessing from the Lord. This is how Abraham's family is meant to operate. They're meant to be blessings to all the earth. And so very often through Abraham's actions, they're doing quite the opposite. They're bringing pain. They're bringing suffering where they go. The exact opposite of God's intent for them. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. And so there was a whole skew of questions I had after this, wondering what he healed Abimelech of, some sort of disease, something there, it's not explicit to us. And then how long could they have possibly been there to know that the women couldn't have children? So I thought about the scope of time, and right before this event, Sodom happens. We get this event, and then in the immediately following chapter, Sarah's gonna conceive. We're told at the event right before Sodom that in a year from this point, Sarah will have a son. Break of the tension. (laughs) Sarah will have a son. Meaning, we know, we know now exactly how long that takes. Thereabouts, a I'll a week or two, usually. Sorry for those that it's two weeks after it should be. Sorry. Um, so there's only a three-month time span that any of this could have happened between the announcement of Sodom's destruction and Sarah conceiving. It's a very short period of time. There's a lot here that's probably not said to us in Scripture about what God revealed to them. But what was given to us was of the most importance. And then the final question I had from this is, why does God keep bailing out Abraham? He does this again and again and again and again, and it always seems to pan out pretty well for Abraham. (laughs) Seemingly from a very worldly standpoint. He's ending up with a lot of stuff. But Abraham, as I said before, has some very different punishments that he's having to endure. The things that actually matter most in life. That through Abraham's actions, he's been banished from an entire nation. He's been discredited with this one. He's going to become estranged from his firstborn son through his actions. And he's going to have to go undergo a horrendous emotional trial with the second in the chapters that come thereafter. Abraham's not getting off easy on this. Although from a worldly standpoint, like look at all the wealth and everything he's acquired and all the space and all the stuff and all the things that really aren't gonna matter. He's gonna go through a lot of difficulty in his life because of the choices he's made. But God is still faithful to fulfill His promises to us despite our unfaithfulness to Him. There is always a means of redemption that God has for us, always the desire for restoration. There will be consequences, but we can be restored. So what's the final takeaway from this? If we look at all this chapter, we look at all of our ways and we're asked that question, what were you thinking when we lied? You cannot justify lies. In the light of Scripture, Proverbs 12, 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord but those who act faithfully are his delight. A little white lie isn't a thing. It's a lie lie. They're all lies. They cannot be justified. A lie is a selfish action at its heart. We might tell ourselves it's for someone else's benefit, but it's ourselves trying to avoid something we don't want to face, and so we lie. They can never be justified you can be forgiven, but your integrity will have been compromised. There will always be that question, are they telling me the truth? In all of our ways, we should measure what we do against the Lord first and not after what we do. It will make your life a little bit harder and a little bit slower but a whole lot better if we take time to ponder our ways and what we do and what we say and we present them before God, before they come out, before we act. Out of Proverbs 21, two through three, it says, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. But to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. It's so much better to not have to seek the repentance. There's always repentance. There's always the ability to return to God, but it's so much better to already be with Him, to not have to go through it, to not have to go through those consequences. It is always unnecessary because every single one of us has a choice. We can choose ourselves or we can choose the Lord. I pray that the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, that he strengthens you and encourages you and gives you the endurance to continue walking with him faithfully every single day. Amen. Amen.